Welcome to 721 Live. I'm Sam Hunter. I am glad that you're with us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking about prayer. We've been talking about prayer for several weeks. We're going to continue because there is so much to talk about when it comes to talking and thinking about prayer. It's such a, it can be such a vague and ambiguous and confusing part of our Christian journey, and yet it doesn't need to be. So we are talking about prayer, have been, are going to continue to, and today I'm going to share with you a variety of thoughts that I have that I've been accumulating on prayer. Before we get to that, let me first remind you that 721 Live is the radio arm of 721 Ministries. You go to our website, 721ministries.org, 721ministries.org. You'll find past radio shows, which you can catch up on the prayer series. You can find our Vimeo channel there. We have a lot of exercises. We have charts, posters that you can download, 721ministries.org. And then we have a sister website, puttinggreenblog.com, puttinggreenblog.com. On that, we've got, uh, you can sign up for our weekly devotionals, we, free of charge, of course. We call those the Putting Green Devotionals. We've got books for sale there, to, Putting Green Devotional Books. We've got a book about Peter, Learning to Live with the Power of the Holy Spirit, The Missing Link. And I've got a new book coming out in just the next couple of weeks. that I, It's already on the website. It's called Deep Calling Deep. It's about uh, the Gospel of John, but it's not the full Gospel of John. It's following Jesus through John's eyes, through the encounters that he has with various people like Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman at the well. His mother, before all of that, by changing the water to wine, the, the palace official, the uh, man who's been lame for 38 years. It, it really is an, a neat look, putting ourselves at the spot of what Jesus is doing and how he engages these various people, from the up and in, Nicodemus, to the down and out, Samaritan woman at the well, etc. I'll talk more about that, but you can find that at puttinggreenblog.com. Now, as I said, we've been talking about prayer, and the the first thing I want to emphasize again, and I want to keep emphasizing this because if I can get you into a conversational prayer life, if I can get you into a talking with your Heavenly Father, talking with Jesus, your Savior, yes, the Savior of the world, yes, the Son of God, yes, but also your best friend and your constant companion, your Heavenly Father who's always dialed into your life, if I can get you just talking with them on and off each day, Throughout the day, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is God's will for you. Pray, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, I don't think you can be joyful always, and I don't think you can give thanks in all circumstances if you're not praying continually. Now, praying continually, yes, that involves, and I do get down on my knees and pray. I do this. I love doing that. There's a very comforting aspect to that, a very solemn aspect to that. And I'm not saying I'm right about this, but something. But in my life at this point, I'm about 10% on my knees and 90% talking throughout the day. But that 90% talking throughout the day is 100% more than I was doing. And if I could get you doing that, it would change your life, and I don't need to talk to you about anything else when it comes to prayer because your Heavenly Father He's real. He'll meet you there, as will Jesus, and they'll take it from there. When I read Acts 17, 24 through 28, Paul talking about God being with us. I'm just going to read 27 and 28. God did this. He made the world. He, he assigned the places for each of us so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far 
from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. That's a fact. That in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move throughout each day. We have our being in him. And to, to live that to the fullest, that involves, yes, Bible study. Yes, involves being around other Christians. But I'm telling you, to live that out, it's a conversational walk through life. Talking with our Heavenly Father. This is a Dallas Willard quotation. Talking with our Heavenly Father about what we're doing together. We're in this with him together. We're part of the family, and he's our Father, and he wants to work through us. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. He is not. In him we live. We are living and moving and having our being the psalmist in one, Psalm 139, verse 8 through 10, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your hand will hold me fast. And that's true. And it's true whether you talk to him or not, but it's even more true in the richness of that experience is fulfilled, is maximized when you're in that conversational prayer life. So just start that. Just try it. It may feel awkward at first. You may think you're talking to the air or, what. you know, this is not very formal. I need to be a little more organized. No, just start a conversation. Talk about what's going on in your day. Talk about what, what you're feeling in that moment or what you're worried about or what you're thinking about, what you're excited about, what you're having fun with. Bring him into those details. Now, along that line... I like to think in terms of prayer, and Jesus said, you know, if you have the faith of just a tiny mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So I'm often wondering, what does moving a mountain look like? What kind of trust is that? If I'm going to be in this prayer life, is there a qualification for my trust level to really? I, I don't, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't have any faith that I can move a mountain by my prayer. I, I don't don't really think that's what Jesus meant as, as he said it. He was given to some hyperbole to make a point. And I think the point is it doesn't take this gigantic trust, this big, huge prayer warrior trust that few of us qualify for. No, it's mustard seed. And in Hebrews eleven six, I think we are given the gift of the definition of mustard seed faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's true of any relationship, isn't it? But without trust, it is impossible to please anyone that you're, with whom you're in relationship because anyone who comes to him must believe. And then we get this big definition of what we must believe. This, here it is, folks. You listening today, this is, this, is what you, this is your requirement that you believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, last week we disseminated this, we dissected it. What is it about God that we trust? Because without trust, it is impossible to please God. What is it about God that we trust? And we talked about it's his character, his goodness, his perfect love. So that when his response to our prayers, to our lives, is not in the same timing we would like, we don't wobble in our faith because we trust his character. We trust who he is his goodness, his perfect love. But I want to take this Hebrews 11.6 a step further because I think this defines our, our prayer life 
because our trust factor, our faith factor has so much to do with our prayer life. So what is Hebrews, what is the Holy Spirit telling us through Hebrews 11.6 about what exactly we must believe? Because anyone who comes to him must believe. Now, this could be a very complicated thing, couldn't it? I mean, we could, we could spend weeks on this. We could diagram it out. We could have five-point lessons. What exactly what must we believe? And yet it's so simple. It's as simple as a mustard seed because anyone who comes to him must are you ready? Get out your notepads because this is high-level complicated stuff. What exactly what must we believe? Number one, that he exists. And number two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's it? That's, that's it? <laughs> that's all? That he is real and that he will respond to anyone who earnestly seeks him. Well, see, now you can do that, can't you? I can do that. The Holy Spirit is telling us that the requirement is that we believe, we trust that God is real. And therefore, we don't feel like we're talking into the air. And then secondly, that we must trust that he always responds. Now, most of us would say, duh, to the first requirement, right? That he's real. Of course he's real. He's God. We, we've been raised to believe that he's real. But check yourself because you may believe that he's real, but do you believe that he's always listening as a father with his child? When you approach God, do you approach him as your father? And I've said this in the previous shows, but I want to keep saying it. It has revolutionized my prayer life to visualize myself as a child approaching my father. It's changed the way I approach him. It humbles me. It simplifies things. My trust factor goes up. I was fortunate enough to have a loving father. Maybe you didn't have a loving father, and so your heavenly father wants to slip right in and provide that for you. But when I envision myself as going, approaching my heavenly father in my prayers, it changes everything. I want you to try it. Now, I know, I know, I know you're all grown up, but nevertheless, try it. And try it because Jesus said many times, that, we, that the approach, the proper approach to God is as his child. All right, now for the second requirement, right, the requirement that we trust that God always responds. Jesus was adamant that God always responds. There was no hint whatsoever in Jesus' teachings about unanswered prayer. None whatsoever. Listen to this. Right prior to raising Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11, verse 41. So they took away the stone, as Jesus had asked them to. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. He said it for the benefit of the people standing there, that he knows God always hears him, and he's thanking him in advance that he's listening because there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. God is always listening. Jesus is telling us that right there in that moment. He said it for their benefit. He said it for our benefit. We can read right there in the gospel, in the scripture, right there that Jesus is saying, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for their benefit. And I'm saying it for your benefit, listening to me today. Now, one last thing on this Hebrews 11:6. Whoever approaches him must believe that he exists and that he 
rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, not just respond, but rewards. And throughout the scripture, we see a God who enjoys lavishing on his children gifts. Now, your lavish gifts will look different than mine, but they will be lavished gifts. See, we do not serve a bread and water God. We serve a God who loves to reward us, not just responds. Jesus says, I know you're always here. I know you're always responding. But even more so, I know you're always rewarding us. And that's why Paul, through the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 3.20, said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, maybe immeasurably abundantly more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, immeasurably abundantly more than all we ask or even sit around imagining to ask, immeasurably more. How great is the love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, 1 John 3.1. So Hebrews 11.6 gives us the definition of mustard seed faith. He's real. And when you approach him, you approach him as someone who is listening, and he is responding. And not just responding, but rewarding you. That's, that's the requirement. So you can do that. I can do that. It's not that complicated. It's as simple as a mustard seed. Well, let's keep going with this thought. So we, we approach our Heavenly Father knowing he's real, knowing he's involved, knowing he's real, relevant, and he's responding. But how do we approach him? With fear and trembling? Well, perhaps, yes, that plays a role. But how about we approach him with confidence? You'll notice throughout this prayer series, I'm really not spending a lot of time trying to teach you how to pray. I, Jesus didn't spend much time teaching his disciples how to pray. I'm, I'm spending more time emphasizing all of these misconceptions and straightening those out and getting us into a posture where we are consistently and constantly and confidently going to our Heavenly Father. So we read in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, can Sam Hunter approach the throne of God with confidence? After the, the mistakes I've made in my life and the sins that I've committed in my life, how could that possibly happen? I mean, I just, just picture this throne of grace you just go to Revelation 4, and let me just read what John says. That once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, lightning and thunder and emerald rainbows and 100 million angels. We see that in Revelation 5, encircling the throne. I... You can approach that throne with confidence. Well, yes, like a child. You see, we can approach with confidence but because we remember it is the throne of grace. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And I don't approach his throne of grace with the self-confidence that I used to have back in the old days. I approach it with confidence in his love as my, per as my heavenly father who loves me perfectly. I approach it in confidence as his child. I approach it because, as Hebrews goes on to say, by the blood of Jesus. 
When I surrender, when I surrender my life to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're born again. The Holy Spirit moves into your heart, and He can escort you right up to that amazing throne with Jesus standing at God's side to welcome you. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence because as we read through the Holy Spirit in Colossians 1.22, he has now reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. I was having a conversation with a man just yesterday who is contemplating leaving his professional job to spend more time in men's ministry, and he said, but I've led such a, not a terrible life, but I have, I have, had a lot of girlfriends. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't have done with girlfriends. That's going to hold me back. People are going to hold that against me. And I said, well, I think actually it'll give you more credibility as someone who has been changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will have experienced the things that the men you're going to deal with. But forget that. What really matters is you're, you're, holy, and, you're holy and blameless in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. That's the only way we can approach the throne of grace with confidence is remembering this. Not going with my Sam's former outsized self-confidence, but with the confidence of a child approaching a loving parent. Just as Jesus talked about so often, let's just take Matthew 19, 14. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So, We've established in Hebrews eleven six that the only real requirement for great faith, great trust, to be a prayer warrior is to believe that he is real and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And as we are earnestly seeking him and approaching him in prayer, we approach him with confidence as his child, not as his superior, not as his equal. We're not on the management committee. We're not there to give him suggestions or ask questions. You know, that's what the management committee does. That's what my board of directors for 721 does. They have, they have questions about why I do things the way I do, and they have suggestions about ways to do things better. That's not approaching the throne of grace as a child. You know, I mentioned this in, in a previous show, but the Holy Spirit, back in that, what I say facetiously, that crotchety Old Testament, sets us up with a beautiful picture, and it's a beautiful word play in the, in the Hebrew, a picture of God as our Father with a child approaching. And this is so familiar, Numbers 6, 24 through 26, and I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to really give you the, the Hebrew behind it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. I love that. But even more so, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. In the Hebrew, the, the connotation there, is, is the picture there is of a father picking up his child, lifting him up above his shoulders, looking up and beaming with pride and adoration and love as he jostles his little child. That's what we're reading. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Pause. Just stop and ponder that for a moment. This is your heavenly Father. Yes, he is God Almighty, El Shaddai. He's the God of thunder and lightning and rainbows encircling his throne, but he's also a loving heavenly Father whose face lights up when you approach him, and you approach him with confidence. Now, let's take another step in this. Last week, and you should go back and listen to last week's show, we asked the question, how much faith do I have to have? And we looked at the story in Mark 9 with the, what I call the desperate dad who brings his son who is demon-possessed and 
looks like it manifests its way through epileptic attacks. And the poor man says, can you help us? Can you do anything for us? And Jesus says, can I? Any, anything is possible for him who believes. And the poor man hollers out what, sh- what could be our, all of our rallying cry. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. That, Jesus moved on that. He didn't say, I believe and I have zero doubt. I have the greatest, strongest trust. I'm a prayer warrior. He said, and he was honest. He said, I'm here. Please help me. I know you're real. I'm earnestly seeking you. I believe you'll respond. I believe, help me with my unbelief. And Jesus responded and rewarded him. But there's a little catch there. Not there, but a catch that we think is there. James 5.16, Jesus' little brother, his half-brother, James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, I'm hitting this theme of, of what is this level of righteousness of, of uh of great faith that we have to have. And James kind of met, kind of gives us, he, he is, is somewhat disturbing, is somewhat confusing, is somewhat, um, it, it takes away a little bit of my hope to read the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective because I'm going to tell you, Sam's not a righteous person. I, I seek to be a righteous person. But when I hold myself up to Jesus, I'm anything but righteous. When I hold myself up to Paul or Peter, or John the Baptist, I'm anything but righteous. So my prayers apparently cannot be powerful and effective. I don't know how you feel about your righteousness. But let's, let's take that misconception and do away with it. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul tells us that he pleaded three times with God to take away the thorn in his side. Three times I pleaded with God to take, away, take it away from me. Now, is Paul a righteous person? I think yes. Is Paul a righteous person who went to his heavenly father and pleaded with what should have been a powerful and effective prayer? But God said no. So apparently Paul's righteousness did not overrule what God wanted to do in his life. A God who loved him perfectly, a heavenly father who loved him perfectly. But he said to me, Paul says about God, my grace is sufficient for you. In essence, no, I'm not going to take that thorn, that thorn out of your side. I know you are a righteous person. I know your prayers are powerful and effective. But no, because that's not what's best for you. My power is made perfect in you and your weakness. So I'm going to leave that thorn in your side so that in that weakness caused by that thorn in your side, you will have to lean on me and not your power, Paul, because I know you. And then Paul concludes, therefore, man, I delight in this thorn. I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and and persecutions and difficulties, which went along with that thorn. For when I am weak, and I would add in my own power, then I am strong, and I would add in my heavenly Father's power. So there, Paul, a righteous man, prayers powerful and effective, did not get his prayer answered. Another example, Luke 22 31, Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon. Now, Simon was not a righteous man at this point, but he was going to lead the church into the first century of that church, the way. And if Simon had known what was coming, he would have prayed to Jesus, don't let this happen to me. Don't let me deny you. Don't let me be put in this situation where I fail so terribly. And Jesus would have denied that prayer because he said, I have prayed for you, Simon, 
Not that you, Satan will not be able to sift you like wheat, but once he is done sifting you like wheat, then you will, be, you will turn back and strengthen your brothers because of that experience. If Peter had known what was coming, he would have begged in his prayers for Jesus not to allow him to be sifted. But just as Paul and his thorn, God Almighty knew what was best for Paul. He knew what was best for Peter, so he allowed it. When John the Baptist is in jail, he sends two of his disciples. And they say, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Now, John the Baptist is in jail. He's likely to get his head cut off by this maniac, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. He does get his head cut off. He knows he's in a desperate situation. He's reaching out to Jesus with a what I would consider to be a veiled prayer request. Are you who you really say you are? Because if you are, get me out of jail. Surely you would get me out of jail. And Jesus answers him with a passage out of Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. I'm going to read you 61, 1 through 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, and release, and release from darkness for the prisoners. He quotes Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, but he leaves out. He leaves out to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. He leaves that out because he's saying, John, I'm not going to... I'm not going to take you out of prison. So here we have three righteous men who, to whom God Almighty said, no, I'm, I'm not going to answer your prayer the way you're asking it because I know what's best for you and I know what's best for my plan. And so when we pray, we go to our Heavenly Father knowing he's real, knowing he will respond, knowing he will reward us in the most perfect of ways, we go to him with confidence as a child, a loving Heavenly Father, but also knowing that at most of the time we don't really know what the best thing to pray for is. So we, in my view, to conclude all of these thoughts, we pray the Daniel 3 prayer where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and we believe he will deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we're not going to lose our trust in him. So, my friend, as we go to our Heavenly Father, we go to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and our best friend in prayer, we ask boldly. We approach with confidence as a child to a loving father. We know he's real. We know he will reward us, but we don't know what the best way is. So as Daniel, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would say in Daniel 3, I know you're able to do it. I believe you will do it, but even if you don't in the way I'm asking, I'm not going to lose my trust in you. My friends, may you develop a sense of confidence in your heavenly Father as you approach him in prayer, knowing he's real, knowing he will not just respond, but reward you. I'm Sam Hunter, and this is 721 Live. So long. God's peace to you. I hope to see you next Friday.